R E A R E A R E A R E A Audio Reemployability. Dr. Claire is back this week for part two of what's turned into a four-part series on REA Audio. More great stuff to learn and activate in your workplace and your outside life. Let's get right into it. Dr. Claire Musselman, thank you for being again with us this week. Uh, last week when we finished off, we were talking about culture change within the workplace, within the workers' comp world workplace, and how to focus better on the injured worker and how that really is the, the primary focus, the customer, uh, as you mentioned, in, in what it is that you do. Now, the, things have changed a lot uh, in the past two years since COVID has, has struck or hit. Um, it's changed the lives of many workers. It's changed the lives of people within this industry. How have you seen COVID change things? And I would imagine, based on what we talked about last week, you see a lot of opportunity in that, right? Absolutely. Uh, from a beginning standpoint, I think COVID as a whole has really showcased a couple of elements. Number one, we've got mental health, mental health and the well being. You know, I think there were a lot of people that were skeptical about mental health, let alone adding mental health as a component of workers' compensation. And since we all got to feel this, we all got to figure out what it felt like to be isolated from our friends and family, removed from our work environments, placed in a different environment. I think we all got to experience somewhat of what an injured worker goes through. And so why that's so important when organizations were looking for different ways of utilizing virtual leadership and looking at different ways to communicate and how do you keep employees engaged. And I think one of the biggest things from my research that I've done um, with my doctoral dissertation was all about how meaning and purpose really drive employee engagement. And so making sure that your employees feel seen, heard, valued, and more so than anything that they're acknowledged. Mm -hmm. So when we first went into the pandemic, I think a lot of it was, how are you going to continue communication with your employees? And it didn't matter what industry you're in. Well, that is exactly true when you have an injured worker. Mm -hmm. If you have an injured employee, that direct leader has so much influence. It's it's amazing to me how much influence that person has. But by reaching out and not because you need anything, but just to say, hey, how are you? You're not asking for medical information. You're simply checking in with someone to see how they're doing. This happened to all of us in the pandemic, making sure that we found ways to reach out to our team or found ways to bond with one another in a different capacity than we had before because you couldn't walk over to someone else's desk. Well, this rings true for an injured worker. Even if they're off work, still having that camaraderie of your peers and having that direct leader, not the HR representative, not the work comp contact, but the direct supervisor of that injured worker simply reaching out to say, hey, how are you? And not asking for anything else more than that. There's so many similarities that play into that. But then also looking at it from like that mental health and wellness we were removed from this and we weren't able to collaborate and connect in ways that we used to and there's a lot of statistics right now that show that while we have technology in the most amazing ways people feel more lonely than ever and i think that's true for an injured worker when they're removed from their workplace and so it's really looking at this in a couple a couple facets one how do you continue the communication spectrum and then number two, what do you do to drive meaning and purpose through that injured worker, even when they're off work? And that's where empowerment is really important. 
making sure you're establishing correct check-ins, trying to find ways that get that, make sure that injured worker is utilizing self-care. So when we look at return to work, it's imperative that we're looking at it bigger than just getting somebody back to work so that we don't have to pay them anymore, but more on that, how do people use self-care? How do they get up in the morning, they get dressed, they get dressed, they brush their teeth, they make breakfast, they get themselves to their employment, wherever that is, whether it's with the current employer or maybe a transitional duty program. That's, it's imperative on that health and healing. And I know you and I talked offline about, you know, even just with the pandemic or working from home, you know, how many times do you really get dressed in the morning and you put on shoes and you do that and how it changes your mindset. So when we look at things from a mental health standpoint, a lot of it does come from that self-care components of what makes you feel your best self and how do you actually take care of yourself. And so when we look at that, when we're working with an injured worker, that needs to be one of the focal points when we're looking at working with an injured worker and when we're focusing on getting them back into a work environment. It's super easy to get jaded in this industry. Um, and, and you've done a, just a fantastic job at keeping that positive mindset and instilling that in the folks that work on your team. What would you say to the adjuster or, or even the account manager or risk manager today that's listening to this and saying, I just feel like every one of my injured workers is somehow trying to get one over on me, right? That, that's where that jadedness comes. It's those bad stories that we, that we hear so much of when, when there's probably only that many, like a little bit of bad and a lot more good, but we always as human beings kind of tend to lean in towards, towards the bad. What would you say to those people that, that just feel like they, they just want to churn people through because they feel like everybody's out to get them? So I think the first thing is to start with what is, so if we're going to talk to risk managers, okay. So statistically speaking, work comp hard fraud is about one to 2% in the entire industry. So for the one claim that you can remember that was so terrible, I could show you quite a few that were not. Mm -hmm. And so my second piece of that would be, is it actually factual or is this just the lens from which you are looking at things? Because I understand that those reserves can get really high on one claim and it can destroy the year. I understand that. The other piece is I would ask what the organization's culture like because those that tend to have workers compensation programs that are not uh, as positive or as nurturing as we would like to see with uh, you know effective return to work programs and just you know keeping their mod ratings down they tend to have an organizational problem not necessarily a work comp problem and I say that because when you see the the organizational cultures that have a very high amount of work comp claims or they have a heavier amount of similar claims, there's something else that's going into it. So when you look at the organizational culture as a whole, as a whole, what are the mission, vision, values? What's your safety culture like? How do your employees feel seen, heard, acknowledged, and valued? Because those that don't have a strong organizational culture where their people do feel valued are going to see more of that soft fraud that comes into the manipulation of the system. And I say that because most of the time when there are issues, it's not always the adjuster. You know, we hear that time and time again, where we hear, you know, this is a result of having a bad adjuster or somebody that wouldn't call us back, when in reality, there's an issue at the employer side. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when we have these conversations, which I've had, especially when I was on the carrier side, you know, every employee was terrible. And so they had a work comp claim. And I say, okay, well, let me see the HR file. And it's empty. 
Mm-hmm. So one of the things I would remind workers' compensation professionals and risk managers is that uh, workers' compensation is not a remedy for poor hiring decisions. Right. And once they've filed that claim, it is our duty to restore that, the livelihood of these injured workers and get them back to work, back to life, and then we can proceed on. But I also think you've got to stick to facts and you have to stick to realistic facts. Are there risks that need to be looked at? And what do you do once a claim happens? So if we have similar claims that are happening time and time again, what is the circle back around with safety? Or how are we looking to ensure that there is compliance at a leadership level? And how is that talked about with the employees of the organization? Because again, this permeates. The permeation of leadership is very important, especially when you're building a safety culture. And a lot of it goes right back down to what does the organizational culture look like? And so when we look at the jadedness on the fact on the adjusting team, what does the organizational culture look like? Do you have a leader that's a crusty claims professional or do you have a leader that's inspiring and makes you feel great about the job you do when you help an injured worker? Mm-hmm. There's a difference in this, but they're both very similar. It all stems back to what is the culture in which you're bringing people up in from a safety mm-hmm. standpoint, from a claim standpoint, and that will then replicate and ripple through the workers' compensation program. We talked about some baby steps last week that leaders could take in the workers' compensation world to kind of try to change that culture and the focus. But what about the workers' compensation professional that may not be a leader in their in their office? Maybe the 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 adjuster who has a caseload, you know, stacks high and and feels overworked, but but they feel like in their heart they really want to make that change. They want to focus more on the injured worker, but but just don't feel like they can because of the metrics that they're being measured by and maybe their leadership isn't quite where uh, they would like them to be with regards to focus on the injured worker. What sort of things can they do to change the culture or change the focus in in their office? Sure, Uh, great question. So how we approach our day all comes from us. So the tone I'm gonna use when I answer the phone, the words I'm gonna use, how I'm going to communicate with another human being is all how I'm going to do it from my own style. Nobody's going to tell me that I have, I'm going to answer the phone and I'm going to be snarky or I could be really inspiring and positive. Like you get to choose how you show up for yourself every single day. And so a lot of it, I think, is a personal reflection. Uh, when we are talking to injured workers, like smiling on the phone is very easy. It also costs nothing to be yep. a good human being. And you can hear a smile on the phone. There's no doubt Absolutely. about it. Mm-hmm. I also think adjusters get stuck in ruts pretty easily. And it's working smarter, smarter not harder. So, for example, um, last week we had talked about the different communication models when we are issuing payments to an injured worker. So, when I was doing the adjusting world, and I loved it because I love to send cards to people, and I did that on my own. Our companies didn't do that back then. Now the Work Comp Center of Excellence, the Workers Recovery, and I know they send cards to injured workers just as happy anniversary, happy birthday, get well soon, happy holidays, because again, we're working with people and you're trying to establish relationships with people. So one, if you want to do that on your own, you can very easily do that on your own because you're a human being and it's human to human contact. Uh, The other thing is that Work smarter, not harder, in terms of when you're gonna issue payments, give somebody a heads up. Like, I'm gonna issue Joe TTD check. Okay, so temporary total disability, Joe's not working. I'm gonna shoot him an email and I'm gonna let him know what date that check is going out. I'll let him know the amount it is. And then I'm gonna check in and just say, hey Joe, just wanted to let you know that this is happening to help alleviate the fear of the unknown. So Joe knows that money is coming, whether 
debit card, paper check, or electronic deposit. And then it also gives me the opportunity to check in and make sure that nothing's going wrong. Mm-hmm. So when you have these opportunities, one, you're covering your own your own rear to make sure that you get that check issued timely. You're communicating with the injured worker so that they understand, yep, it's coming. And you're alleviating the fear of the unknown, which is one of the things that the industry for some reason thrives on. But we should definitely be working towards alleviating right. the fear of the unknown. Right. But it also creates that opportunity to just check in and say, hey, how are you? Do you need anything? Because if something is going wrong, you need to be able to know right away but then also you're doing another touch point. And if you're issuing weekly checks, that means you can have weekly touch points. And for the people that are really busy and don't have time to make that phone call, throw it in an email. Then you've got the paper trail for it. Joe knows it's happening and it's coming. He's got the opportunity to respond to you if something is not right. And you've created all of this in what, a 30 second email? Mm-hmm. So I think it's looking at how do you work smarter, not harder. I do think there's a lot of mundane administrative tasks that we, you know, cause we're very, compliance driven and form driven form heavy in the work comp space how do we make that easier as leaders for our adjusters so they can actually focus on the people but there's a lot of ways that you can work smarter not harder in this and we just have to start looking in the mirror and figuring out is this a me thing or is this really a system thing because i do understand caseloads and most of my adjusting teams that i've managed since my time at farm bureau have had very low caseloads much lower than industry standards because i do understand that but you can also have a pretty high pending if you do not have as many going in and out. The influx and outflux of claims is also something that the industry needs to pay attention to because we focused so heavily on caseloads versus how many new claims are being assigned per week. So I want to caveat that because mm-hmm. I think both things can be true. We just have to make sure that we're looking at the entire complete picture when we're looking at productivity and so when you're look, somebody hearing this right now is thinking, okay, I, I kind of want to take these steps on the front end. It does seem like a little bit more work, but holistically at the end of the day, it's going to make things move along more efficiently. It's going to make people happier, obviously, from an injured worker standpoint. How does that directly affect the, um, the, the adjuster, right? So if, I, if, if we're trying to prove to an adjuster that using these tools is going to make their life better, or easier, or wh- however you want to term that. Do you have a story or two that you could share um, where folks actually implemented some of these strategies and, and things turned out really, really well? Yeah, so one of my favorites is a woman, I believe she was almost 70. And I love this story because it's so great. So um, in one of my prior lives, we used vision boarding as a tool that we taught our adjusting teams so that they could work with their injured workers using vision boarding. Now, guarantee you're not going to find that in any other claims curriculum, but you found it in ours because it's an important component of how do you get an injured worker to visualize where they need to go. Now, remember, the mind is incredibly powerful. You can rewire the brain. So sometimes it just needs the pictorial direction. Mm-hmm. So we had a woman who had a shoulder injury. And so while the adjuster is working with this injured worker, is trying to figure out what's important to you. Like, what do you, what do you like to do for fun? You know, they're trying to get to know each other. And she loves to golf with her grandchildren. And her big goal was for her 70th birthday, she wanted to be back on that golf course golfing with her grandchildren. And so she needed to have shoulder surgery. So the adjuster asked her to put up a photo of her golfing with her grandkids in her bathroom, on her refrigerator, and I think in two other places, like maybe on her bedroom mirror and somewhere else where she would see this all the time. And so they would talk about it. Be like, you know, how is how's that range of motion for your shoulder? We want to get you back on that golf course for your birthday. On her 70th birthday, the adjuster did send her a card. And in response, the injured worker sent back a picture 
of this woman golfing with her grandchildren. It's amazing. Because what was interesting about this is we get so caught up in getting people back to work, we forget about the life components. And so much more, the life components have less restriction or have more restrictions than we're giving people credit for. So by focusing on that injured worker, focusing on golfing with her grandchildren, which is gonna create positive memories and it helps her brain be and release endorphins. She, she's happy, you've got dopamine, you've got all these happiness hormones that are released as a result of this type of thought process. Well, guess what? If she gets her range of motion back to golf, she can go back to work. Right, they go right. hand in hand. Yeah. We get so focused in one direction that we forget that we're working with somebody that has this really great big life, but nope, we have to get you back to work. Our goal yeah. is back to work. Yeah. Okay, well, look at some of the life elements that play into that. Because a lot of people work out or a lot of people belong to gyms or there's communities that belong in those gyms or people like these activities with family members or friends or maybe they do like a great, we have Ragbri in Iowa where there's a big cycling event. If you can find things like that, that help your injured workers stay motivated, it one gives you as an, as an, as an adjuster, a way to continue communication by always checking in like, Hey, how are those grandchildren? Have you gotten to see them lately? Especially with it just being the holidays. Like what are your grandchildren doing for the new year? It gives you a different, more in-depth human component and a connection piece that we don't normally teach on those adjusting desks. Mm -hmm. We teach compliance rules, regulations, compensability, jurisdictions, et cetera. And we fail to remember that we're working with another human being who might have a great big life outside of this work comp claim. Yep. It, I mean, it sounds so simple. It's what you can do rather than what you can't do. Right? Which is a very it, big focal point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, re-employability, re we reach out to nonprofits to uh, try to place injured workers. And, you know, we're always telling them what the restrictions are. But what really helps in getting people placed is telling them what they can do, right? Nonprofits may not think of certain aspects of what somebody who's sedentary, who can't use their arms. There's things those people can do. And so we point those things out that they can can do rather than focusing on those things that they can't do obviously making sure that those things are always you know being adhered to as well but but it, it i mean it's this stuff isn't brand new stuff it's just taking it and putting it in the light of an industry that really hasn't uh, adopted this this type of focus before if you look into your crystal ball and let's say folks embrace this new look on the workers comp industry how can the industry change what what sort of things will happen well, I think that you'll see an attraction and a retention level that you like you haven't seen before. So it's very funny to me when people say, oh, you know, we've got this talent crisis because I was one of the youngest people when I started in the industry. I graduated college early and was very young. And I, the weird thing is I'm still one of the youngest people in the insurance industry and I've been here for 18 years. So it's right. very strange <laughs> now. Very strange. Um, but with that, when we look at where are the college students wanting to go? So let's say that we are taking people straight from college or we're looking at that kind of mentality, which you do not always have to take people from college. There's a plethora of awesome people that are out there. Just we're looking at customer service being a human being. So I wanna pause with that. However, the number of jobs that are coming out from recent college graduates, nine out of the 10 jobs exist in workers' compensation. So one of the jobs, account manager, mm -hmm. people want to be account managers. Guess what? You can do that in workers' compensation, financial analysts. Oh, guess what? You can do that in workers' compensation, right. account executives. Again, same thing there. Administrative assistants, 
Yes. Oh my gosh, goodness. There is a lot of stuff that I'm sure adjusters could would love to have help with. Mm-hmm. Project management, same thing, especially if you're going on that risk management side or those safety sides, as well as building out programming and workers' compensation as a whole. Accountants, again, we've got a lot of financial stuff. Teachers, uh, teachers are great, great on the adjusting team. We just have to phrase them in a way that they understand. They are so good at mm-hmm. making information consumable. And we look at sales, absolutely sales as in workers' compensation. For sure. Registered nurses. Hello, you can be a medical, you can, you're going to have medical components here as well mm-hmm. as we need nurses. And then one of the other jobs, which rounds out 10 is software engineer. And I still believe we are one tech company away from being a completely different industry. Really? So those are the top 10 jobs that college students are looking for right out of college. They all exist here. We've just done a very bad job of branding. It. If right. we choose to not embrace this, you're going to see the companies that chose to are going to be the ones that succeed. I think I saw a statistic the other day that 2030, like the amount of billions of dollars that are going to be on the TPA space because of people going captive and retaining higher rates of self, uh, of self-insurance. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Uh, so the jobs are there. The marketplace is there. If people choose to not change one, you're not going to get the people. They don't want it. People don't want to be unhappy. We've looked right. at this as a great resignation. I call it the great realization where people found out that they don't want to do things that make them unhappy. So it is important to focus on organizational culture. It is important to focus on meaning and purpose because you know tomorrow is not guaranteed as we have seen yeah. very clearly over the past two years. Yeah. And so we need to do something that is driven by meaning and purpose. And the perfect place to do that is workers' compensation where you mm-hmm. can single-handedly change the trajectory of somebody's life every time you pick up the phone. That's so awesome. Now, obviously you are making an impact at NARS where where you're developing the the Workers' Compensation Center for Excellence. Um, But if somebody from a different uh, organization is just interested in learning a little bit more, um, you had mentioned that you're a professor in, in, um, uh, in Iowa there. Is there any place else where you have resources available that people can learn more about this approach that you're taking? Yeah, so we actually have it on our website under North American Risk Services. It's under the Workers' Compensation uh, Services under Claims. Also, if you ever pick up the book, everything I learned and learned in kindergarten, almost everything we take is from that book. Really? I love that. Mm, sort of. That's true. <laughs> it's a bad joke, but I used to, uh, when we first rolled out like the difference in changing minds, um, some of our legal representatives were like, you can't share this with anybody. It's like... <laughs> This is all from kindergarten. Yeah. I, don't I didn't make any of this up, right? This, I, yeah. isn't, this isn't rocket science. The right. interesting piece of this is it's not hard to do. Just yeah. good luck in getting everyone to buy in for it because yeah. it is being your most authentic self in genuinely caring about the outcomes of other people. So yeah. it's very servant leadership. And I believe our industry has not focused on servant leadership at all. So when we talk about that, it's a very interesting component. There's a great book by Tommy Spaulding called The Heart-Led Leader. And he gives a lot of components that we have focused on that derive kind of how we've done the Workers' Recovery Unit and the Workers' Compensation Center of Excellence. Because if you focus on the people you're intended to serve, which for us are injured workers, and then you focus on the people that are doing the work for them, which are our adjusting teams, and then the rest of it will follow. You just have to take care of people. Insurance is a business of people mm-hmm. and workers' compensation is about restoring the livelihood of those. So I think we've lost sight of that. And there's been more on like the profits where you end up seeing 
You know, I know that there are the adjusters that have 300 claims. I've been one before. It's mm -hmm. not fun. Mm -hmm. But I will also tell you, I had a really great boss back then who made our jobs fun and made us feel seen, heard, acknowledged, and valued. So while the work wasn't necessarily the greatest at the time, we still had a really good culture. And culture is so imperative mm -hmm. when we're looking at how are we going to change things. Well, you start by showing up as your very best self and taking care of you. And then you do it repeatedly. And then you use your influence so that other people understand it's just that easy. Mm -hmm. This has been just an absolute pleasure uh, spending the past couple of weeks with you. And I, I can't get over what an awesome start this is for 2022. And uh, Dr. Claire Musselman, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to, to talk to us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening this week to REA Audio. If you have any comments or suggestions for an upcoming episode, please let us know. Email todd at reemployability.com. Also, please follow REA Audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out more content at listentorea.com. Next week, Dr. Claire returns to talk about practical actions you can take to implement this type of change in your workplace and ways to get others on the bus and not under it. Have an awesome and impactful rest of your day.